Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by TELUS World of Science Edmonton, home of the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. The exhibition runs until February 17th. Edmonton is the first and so far only Canadian city to host it. Here's curator Ben Saunders with more. What we have here is material from the comic book universe and from the cinematic and television universes, often framed and displayed in ways that offset the relationship between the different forms of media. We've really tried to do a deep dive into comic book history, the creation of the books to pay tribute to the creators as well as the characters. And there really should be something here for every generation of fan and hardcore fans will be, I think, stacked by what we found. You can buy your tickets today at tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. That's tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. So we done did have a prelude. There was a prelude. Uh, it uh, was a beautiful monologue. <laughs> which began with some statistics about train accidents and ultimately flowed into kind of like a mission statement for our protagonist. Yeah, kind of. A little little character work right off the top. Yeah. And uh, that protagonist is someone who we're going to get to know a little more intimately as we move into Chapter 1 of The Municipalists by Seth Freed. It's weird coming off of our last novel to begin this chapter and not have flavor text to dissect. Right? <laughs> I thought of that. I was like, oh, this one's not going to have any flavor. We're just diving into a chapter. Indeed we are. And yeah, so, so we do flavor. dive right into uh, the head of our protagonist, who we learn is named Henry Thompson in this chapter. Yes. Uh, Henry is an agent with the United States Municipal Survey. Yes. He has the most boring sounding job and the most generic sounding name and yet he is someone who clearly takes a great deal of pride in his job oh clearly he is uh really good at numbers and really bad at people yeah he is um he is a textbook bureaucrat he is a person who loves filling out forms and pushing papers and uh breaking down numbers and thinking big thoughts, but he doesn't really deal with people. Very well. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's... I actually, the note I wrote down, first class bureaucrat. <laughs> like, he really is. He, yeah, he would make Hermes Conrad very proud. <laughs> I was thinking it. We get a little bit into his uh, space right off the bat with him in his office, which is rather Spartan. It's just kind of the desk, some chairs, some filing cabinets, mm -hmm. and with His, some binders. A, a little bit of decor. He's got some trains. Actually, a bit of decor. Uh, I believe it's described as he has a train. Oh, I thought there was more than one. I thought he had. I thought he had said he had several. Uh, he does at home, but ah, uh, he's only brought is. one to the office to add a little flair to his <laughs> otherwise rather bland office. And I thought it was a little morbid, actually. So did I, until he 
clearly specified that the train model he brought in was one that had never had a crash. Yeah, he sees it as inspirational. But yeah. knowing his uh, history with the train crash that killed his parents, it still struck me as a little morbid. It, it did. It would have been more morbid had it been the same model. Like, this is a model of the train that killed my family. Like, that's really morbid. We also learn a little bit about Usmus itself in this chapter. Um, it is one of the most powerful agencies in the federal government in this time period, which, again, we still don't know the exact date. We just know it's 20XX. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the, futurish. the day after tomorrow. And because they are in, as he describes it in the chapter, the golden age of urbanization, the municipal survey has become a very powerful institution within the government because there's a lot of city that needs to be managed and their job is managing cities. Yes. Caring for infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, caring too much about infrastructure yeah. in some cases. Uh, it, it certainly seems. It took me a while to wrap my head around that concept. Our our local equivalent would be municipal affairs. Kind of, yeah. Right? Imagine that being as powerful as, like, the FBI or the CIA, right? Like, this really strong branch of government. It just sort of, yeah, it took me a minute to wrap my head around that. Well, and these are, the reason why they're so powerful is because these are the people in in their navy blue matching suits <laughs> they go about from city to city and they solve problems yeah they they are the ones who literally make the trains run on time and that in in a a world that is increasingly more city centric is of vital importance oh no i i agree i just trying to equate it to something real world that i am somewhat familiar with it took it took a little brain wrapping to do that. Fair enough. Thompson begins the chapter by having a discussion with one of his team members. Uh, yeah. It's implied that he's in kind of like a, a mid-range leadership position. Yes. And he has some people who report to him. And uh, in this case, it's a guy by the name of Agent Marcuse. And he's in a bad mood, probably because he has to talk to Thompson this morning. Yeah. And uh, Thompson actually takes him to task over the fact that he had to hit a 5% improvement in efficiencies in Fort Collins, but only got 4.73%. And Marcuse is legit offended by this. He's like, it's, it's 5%. You round it up. It's 5%. Yeah, it's it's not even a third of a percentage point. But Thompson, we learn, is such a stickler for the rules. That third of a percent is a big deal to him. Yeah. It's, and it's like, unacceptable. This, this 0.27% genuinely matters. Yeah. He's trying to be all friendly about it. But he's missing the bigger picture, being bad at people, yeah. that it actually doesn't matter this results, to anyone else. This results in Marcuse storming out of his office. And Thompson just he, chalks it up to, oh, another interaction with one of my coworkers. <laughs> and then happily like makes a note to himself to personally go to Fort Collins in the near future and make up that third of a percent. Like, yeah, no happily problem. just like, I'll, I'll take care of it. The reason I find this very interesting, especially up front, because the the latter half of the chapter is plot happens. Oh, yes. Is that it really firmly sets us in Thompson's headspace. And he really is a very rational, very logical, very by-the-numbers bureaucrat. Yeah. This I felt really hammered at home. Mm -hmm. He's not really rattled by the fact that a subordinate just swore at him and told him to go do something very unpleasant and stormed out. Uh which to me really overemphasizes his lack of people skills. 
I don't like think he it, just it like he just rolls off him and he's like, yeah, whatever. I get sworn out all the time. Another successful interaction with a human. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's there's a couple things at work here that I thought are interesting because we learn a little later on that he very much has a, a mentor in the agency. His the, the director of the agency, yes. um, Theodore Garrett, is kind of a father figure to him, mm-hmm. and this is a man who's clearly found in a way a surrogate family here. Like he takes pride in his work. This is where he would prefer to spend his day. He is a workaholic, mm-hmm. is certainly the impression, and doesn't probably have much of a personal life outside of these people who he deals with on a daily basis. His work is his life. He lives to work. Yes, absolutely, and, yes. And that is, that is again, an interesting kind of perspective to be poured into. And the weird thing is that for a guy who seems like an unimaginative bureaucrat in an agency that deals with the minutia of running cities. It was interesting to me. Like <laughs> his, though it's weird that his excitement, and this could be maybe just because Seth Freed has so far proven to be a skillful writer, his legitimate earnest excitement about what he does kind of came off the page to me. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm on board. Let's yeah. make let's make traffic signs more <laughs> efficient. Let's find a way to make the crossing signal a second longer. Like, let's do this. I'm I'm down for it. Let's crunch these numbers. Yeah. Then our our protagonist Thompson heads to a cool meeting with a 3D projector in it. Yeah, there's a a bit of future tech at play as he makes his way to that meeting oh, too. No. Sounds fun. Uh, uh, he also passes a gaggle of um, like junior agents. Yep. Uh, who are chatting with their smartphones and they're literally plucking virtual data off the smartphone and slapping it down on someone else's so they can read it. And I thought, that's cool. Yeah. Cool little bit of future um, tech there. He has a failed interaction with his AI, yeah, the, whose name is Owen, and I really want to know what that stands for. Uh, Owen is the Usmus supercomputer, um, and apparently he's running on all of the agency's devices. Yes. And um, their IT guy has taken great pains to make Owen as uh, lifelike as possible in his interactions. And, of course, because Thompson doesn't deal with people very well it's actually made him less effective at dealing with the ai right it's very funny but yes owen is in all caps and i really want to know what that stands for i would imagine we might yet find out i hope so i imagine we will based on the blurb yeah anyway Uh, carrying on um the meeting is interrupted however yeah things go horribly sideways the plot happens yes because plot basically in a nutshell uh usmus is the target of a cyber attack uh, not just at their headquarters, but also at their major satellite office in the city of Metropolis. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that this metropolis is not Superman's metropolis. I'm going to guess it is a different metropolis. I'm also going to guess it is a different metropolis. We don't know exactly where it's located. My guess is we are told it is the size of Rhode Island. It has some 3.5 million people or something yeah. living in it. It's fairly sizable. It's the, it is described as the largest municipality in the Western Hemisphere. So my guess is that it is likely uh, a megacity. Yeah. That is the amalgamation of, of several larger cities. That makes sense. But we just don't know exactly where it is yet. Yeah. So the cyber attack essentially is the result of Owen being hacked. Yeah. And because Owen is their supercomputer who runs everything, everything shuts down. Yeah, uh, all the computers, all the phones, everything in the building spits out uh, a wall of text and then explode. Basically. (laughs) Essentially. And everything powers down, which sucks because there are a lot of electronically locked doors, apparently, in this building. 
which leaves some people trapped and screaming. Yeah, much of the rest of the day is spent rescuing people from their offices and yeah. secure workspaces. Part of the code includes a phrase in Esperanto, <laughs> which uh, we later learn is the phrase, the cities are frozen. Yes, it gets translated. Yeah. So two things about this that stuck out to me. I was like, oh, Esperanto, the universal language that nobody speaks. <laughs> Although they might in this book, I don't know. In our world, like you might know what Esperanto is, but I don't know anybody that speaks it. It was designed to be this universal language right, never, that everyone should be able to pick up. Never really took off. And then nobody picked it up. But when they're talking about it, it's it's Garrett, big boss man, mm -hmm. uh, who recognizes it as Esperanto. Even though he can't read yeah. it. And he says uh, he that he can't read it, but he knows someone who does. So that's one of two things in my head. Okay. That's... Uh, he suspects someone to be behind this cyber attack who would be speaking in Esperanto, or he simply knows someone he can ask to have this, trans have this translated. Um, it's left a little vague, actually. I know. And I don't know which that might be. Well, the reason I think that there might be a suspect involved is because Thompson has to translate it himself. Well, right? yeah. He plugs but... it into, he basically plugs it into Google Translate. But we learn a little later on Garrett is being stonewalled in investigating this by basically, and this is getting a little ahead of ourselves, the USMIS board of directors uh, after the cyber attack, there's pandemonium. The agency is under a lot of scrutiny because there's a huge security breach well, yeah. and there were injuries, um, which we'll touch on in a second. And they basically put together a board of inquiry. Uh, Garrett comes under direct uh, investigation over his leadership and how things were handled. Um, and he wants to open up an investigation with the FBI, and the board of directors is saying, no, absolutely not. This is an no, internal no. matter. We are going to handle this. We're going to handle it. When he's he clearly believes that this is bigger than the organization. Yep. Um, I think he's right. Because, and the reason that he suspects that is because the attack didn't just happen, as I mentioned, at their headquarters. It also took place at Metropolis, and it was much worse at the Metropolis station because it burned down. The building is gone. It was destroyed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that it burned down, but the book does mention a sinkhole. Yeah, no, it's gone. Yeah. It, it like, explicitly burned down. Yeah. So this wasn't just a cyber attack. This was also a physical attack. Yeah. Um, Thompson's phone explodes in his face. Yeah. Right? People are trapped. Like, this This was a cyber attack turned physical. Yeah. Um, it also resulted in their entire drone network over Metropolis uh, failing. Which caused yeah. them to crash. Just fall right out of the sky. Which caused injuries. The only injuries in the entire incident that were significant, other than a few scrapes and mm -hmm. bruises, cuts, cuts and bruises from the exploding phones at the headquarters. Um, apparently, no one was at work that day in Metropolis. There were no casualties reported in the fire. Which was weird because, they note, the fire happened during work hours. Yeah. And the entire station has gone silent. Nobody's heard anything from any of the agents there since. Well, they can't because their supercomputer has been compromised and shut down. Presumably someone could still pick up a phone and talk to someone. Fair enough. Um, the point is... An other phone. There hasn't been any communication from the field office in Metropolis. Yeah. They're kind of, they're kind of running around with their heads cut off. Yeah. So there's also a secondary mystery involving the... Metropolis Station. Yes. And that is the fact that the station chief, Terrence Kirkland, has gone missing. And it's believed he's gone missing in connection with the disappearance of the mayor of Metropolis's 18-year-old daughter, Sarah Laurie. Sarah apparently is this media darling. She has been since the day she was adopted by the mayor. 
She's grown into superstardom. She's a media celebrity. She's an Olympic gold medalist. She's just the talk of the town. She's this perfect shining angel. Meantime, Terrence Kirkland is uh, more than twice her age, a lifelong bureaucrat who doesn't get along with the rest of the agency very much. Not particularly charming. And has been just, shall we say, unkindly treated by the media because the implication is that the two of them ran off together. Because apparently after Sarah disappeared, she shortly thereafter posted on social media professing her love for Kirkland and telling people not to go looking for them. It's also worth noting that we find out that she also had recently fallen in with, or at least had some ties to, some fringe political groups that didn't necessarily agree with her father's running of the city of Metropolis. Yes. I I didn't read that as particularly radical, though. Not just necessarily. The, just that, like... There was some differences of opinion. But it is a clue, perhaps, yes. nonetheless. Because no, there is there. there is a mystery afoot. The uh, the head of the Metropolis station runs off with a much younger woman, out of the blue, uh, a very popular woman, who recently began to speak out against her father's administration of the city. And then a massive cyber attack hits Usmus, and the Metropolis station burns down. Probably they're connected. <laughs> I'm, I don't I don't know how yet, but I don't see why they wouldn't be. Uh, the loss of Kirkland is also felt in the agency in general, because despite the fact that he had a uh, tempestuous relationship with Director <laughs> Garrett and didn't get along with uh, a lot of the other agents and was strongly opinionated, he was very good at his job. There's oh, yes. a reason he was the station chief in Metropolis. Oh, absolutely. There's a there's a whole section of this chapter devoted to how good this guy was at his job. Yeah, and his loss is is a critical loss for the agency. So that's just not great to begin with. The next week kind of passes very quickly for Thompson. Uh, it's mostly in dealing with this internal investigation that has begun and the media circus surrounding the cyber attack. Well, they're more, more or less in damage control, right? Trying to yeah. pick up the pieces and carry on. And then... About a week later, Garrett invites Thompson to his office to kind of discuss matters privately with him. And uh, over uh, a cigarette, uh, he reveals that basically he's being pushed out as director. And Thompson wants none of that. Yeah. He's like, no. No. Uh, he offers to basically uh, launch a coup internally against the board of directors in favor of Garrett. And Garrett's like, no, do not do that. You will get fired. Everyone else who you sign up to this will get fired. We'll yeah. all be fired. We'll all go down together. Don't do it. The smart choice is for me to go. And the reason I say that is because you don't have all the facts. And so Thompson's like, well, what are the facts? And Garrett's like, sit down, <laughs> listen up. I have, I, have a, I have a story to tell you. Yeah. So it starts with a, a sewage dude by the name of Stuart Biggs. <laughs> sewage dude. Sewage dude. Sewage bro Stuart Biggs, who is... Who is somehow even worse at people <laughs> than Thompson. He has a love of sewers. And uh, not in a weird way. No. He's just like, that's his purview. He's very, he has ambitious sewage projects in mind, and he's, uh, like Thompson, very devoted to his job. I would not be surprised to learn that he was some kind of germaphobe. Oh, maybe. Um, he was reassigned, apparently, to Metropolis from headquarters about eight months ago, and this is unusual because Kirkland is very particular about the people he brings onto his team. Yes. Most notably, he straight refuses anybody... <laughs> who is being sent from headquarters because he assumes that Garrett is spying on him. 
because Garrett is spying, spying on, on him. him. Yeah, he assumes correctly. Kirkland and Garrett have, as mentioned, a tempestuous relationship. And Kirkland doesn't exactly tell Garrett ex what's going on in Metropolis all the time. It's pretty clear. So Garrett wants to keep eyes on him and find out what's going on over there. Well, yeah. So he's been trying to get someone in there for a while. So he uses a clever bit of reverse psychology. Yeah. He anti-recommends Biggs. <laughs> yeah, he anti-recommends He's Biggs. like, this He's like, person definitely nope. should never go to the Metropolis office. Absolutely not. And it's... so that, of course, makes Kirkland go, welcome aboard. Basically. And Biggs is over the moon. Like, uh, moving to Metropolis to work at that bureau is, is a huge step up. Also, he got funding for uh, some fanciful sewage project yeah, that so he wanted. This is great news. And he immediately started spying on Kirkland for Garrett. And immediately produced a file, like a foot thick. Yeah, a phone book-sized dossier, which is just a month's worth of reports on what Kirkland is up to. So clearly this is a man who's up to stuff. Mm -hmm. Biggs might be meticulous like Thompson and just like filing hourly reports. Or Kirkland is up to stuff. Yep. It, it's one of those two for sure. We just don't know which one yet. Now, as mentioned before, the Metropolis staff have all gone quiet. Nobody's heard from them since the cyber attack. And that includes Biggs. Garrett hasn't heard from his guy in Kirkland's staff in that time, which is also unusual. But he thinks Biggs might have information that could link the attacks. And that might be the information he needs to push the board of directors to involve the FBI in the investigation, basically. He's going around them, not over their heads, <laughs> but he needs to do it quietly because they will stonewall this Yes, uh, if word gets out that he's doing it. So he needs someone he can trust to go do the job. Right. I thought that was very funny. In explaining this to Thompson, that he needs someone, he basically needs a field agent out there, Thompson's, Thompson's thought was, oh, he wants me to put together a list of people to recommend for this job. Yeah, Thompson apparently, he must, he's not well liked by the staff, but he knows everybody at headquarters. Of course he does. Like, down to like how they tie their shoes. And Garrett has occasionally leaned on him to recommend staff for certain jobs. Yeah. So Thompson is already going through a mental checklist of, oh, well, he'd need an agent who's experienced in field work and who's of an appropriate age and who has like this level of experience and uh, well, I can get like a list together by this afternoon, not He's a like, problem. Yeah, I've already got some people in mind. And uh, before he even finishes that thought, Garrett's like, don't worry, you won't be by yourself. And then Thompson clues in. And realizes, <laughs> oh, I'm the loyal person who's being sent. <laughs> oh, no. And then our chapter ends. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of chapter one. Um, now, we kind of can surmise from the blurb that the person he's being sent with will be Owen. Yeah, it's it's more or less written on the back of the book. That, that is, I consider that to be public knowledge. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's going to be sent with an AI as his partner, and the only AI we've been introduced to so far is Owen. Yeah, and so their interactions have gone over real well. So this is going to be a delightful partnership. It's going to be a buddy comedy, a bureaucratic <laughs> buddy comedy. I look forward to it. Yeah, there is there is some mystery afoot, and I am intrigued. Like, I'm hooked. This chapter, I thought, was solid. Yeah, a lot of plot happened, but yeah. not in a heavy-handed way. No. And we were given just enough information to get us hooked without too much information to necessarily piece everything together. Yeah, it wasn't a slog to get through it. I understood everything that was being presented to me. Yeah. And off we go. Um, I won't recommend that we go into the accusing parlor quite yet. Oh, goodness, no. We don't have enough suspects yet. 
if we wanted to make radical, irresponsible uh, accusations as to who was responsible for the cyber attack. Now, to be fair, we usually do. Uh, the only However, two, the only two suspects at the moment are Sarah Laurie and Kirkland. But I think that I don't know. I don't. I don't have enough information on either of them to believe that they're necessarily behind it. Mm, I'm not ready to make any kind of accusations whatsoever. Yeah, so. we'll have to. We'll have to meet more of the cast of characters before we get there. Agreed. So. Like, we're only one chapter in. Hasn't stopped us from making irresponsible <laughs> speculative accusations. Yes, before. but this isn't your standard murder mystery. No, but that it is, we've read, so we're good. But it is a mystery. It is, and there will be jacuzzis to come. Oh, probably. I guess before those jacuzzis come, you'll want to read up on chapter two. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in time for next week, and uh, in the meantime, you might want to check out some of our sibling podcasts over at the Alberta Podcast Network, such as this one. This episode is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. And guess what? So are we. And who are we? Well, I'm Josh. And I'm Alan. And we're pressed to join. We have a weekly podcast bringing you current events from everything from gaming to comics to technology, security, all that fun stuff. And every episode we bring you a recommendation for something we think you might like. And uh, we've got a special Bad Descriptions game that we're playing every week now that Josh hosts. Yeah, new for 2019, I've written a whole bunch of bad descriptions of things that seemingly makes no sense, but once you know what it's to, it's painfully obvious. And then at the end of every month, we do a deep dive into the history of a gaming company, franchise, or just even technology. We've done arcade cabinets one time. Popular things like Mario, and then things you don't know about, like Earth Defense Force. You can check us out at psjshow.com, albertapodcastnetwork.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So as always, thank you all very much for listening. And thanks for pressing start. So yeah, shout out to our our podcast brethren over at Press Start to join. I, I listen to their show quite regularly. I think those two are uh, quite fun. Yeah, if you're looking for tech news or just general nerdery, uh, they are an excellent resource. You just If you just like hearing Alan rail against Facebook. That, that also is true. <laughs> that yeah. is a thing that happens. Uh, speaking of Facebook, uh, we can be found there and on all of the social medias. On all of the social medias? Uh, well, all the ones that people regularly use. The, the fairly major social medias. Uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and we are on Goodreads because we're special that way. Yeah. We are at the read along in those places. And uh, we can also be reached via email. The read along at gmail.com. That's right. We do like to hear from you. Uh, and we're starting new books, so now's a good time to reach out and just be like, hey, what's up? How, how are things? <laughs> I have opinions about this new book. Yeah. With that said, as always, we'll see you next time. <laughs> Adventures in AI. Woo! Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.